right, just give me a second. All right, I'm good to go. Um, Frederick Anderson. Literally yesterday, you said you're always ready to do the show, and I'm never ready to do the show. Well, you had me scrambling. No, I'm just saying, what a hypocritical loser you are. It just, it's just the worst. Technologically, I was ready to go. Information-wise, sure. I was not quite ready to go. Because here's oh, what I no, like to you do. you only had the whole 24 hours. Well, you're starting to throw ridiculous takes at me that I have to get ready to squash. I have to get all my, my ammunition in my utility belt here ready to just destroy your horrible takes and swat them away like the, mm. the flies that they are. Mm. Okay? Yeah. That's all. I hope I hope you waste all your energy on my non takes that I never bring up on a show because <sighs> I don't Is that what you're dude? Doing? Oh yes, yeah, that's what you're doing. You're just having me run around uh like after my own tail here. You try out these these hot takes that you never bring to the microphone. Yeah. That's what it is. Can I just actually say something quickly? Because I was doing a podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. I was having a conversation with these guys about how what I really miss or one of the things I really miss and what I really can't stand about the advent of social media and the sharing of takes and everything like that, right, is it was supposed to be this communal viewing experience tool where we were all supposed to watch stuff together and have fun. And sometimes it can be that, right? Like when the Raptors win a championship and you get to see all the reaction videos and when Kawhi hits the shot, and you get to experience it through the lens of so many different people. I love that, right? That part is special. But so much about sports, for me anyways, growing up, and I don't apologize for this whatsoever, is a guy strikes out and you just yelling at the TV like, I hope you die. You know, like, like that. You know, just the extreme irrationalities of just being a sports fan in a moment and yelling and being so upset, you know, and sample size be damned or whatever. But every take, if you put anything out there, I guess you're supposed to be more thought out where other people can see it, fine. But even still, there's some times where I just want to yell dumb things because I'm watching sports and I feel something from my gut. And if you say it, you're just met with, well, actually, and reply guys and things, and you go, oh, this is no fun. And doing this show is similar in the sense of, yes, do we like to do hot takes? Of course. Do we ever do them in a way where they're prepared and planned and discussed and, and curated? No, never. This is a hot take show purely based on the fact that we're idiots who just talk about things. So anytime people think that it's uh, some kind of yeah planned thing to try to get clicks, you're wrong. <laughs> if this was planned for clicks, it would be a very different show. But... I do miss that. Like, I like doing that with you sometimes and with my friends, being able to, in private, be the stupid sports fan that I am, the completely irrational troll that I am, and then coming on here and pretending as though I really care about sample size and analytics and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. And I don't want to spend too much time on this because you so are no, such a hypocrite sometimes. Sometimes, because I'll, I'll do the yeah. opposite to, to things that you're a little bit more passionate about, about the logic, yeah. and you'll get so mad at me that I'll yeah. have the outrageous take. And then you expect everyone to just accept your outrageous yeah. take. Yeah, dude, I'm the worst, obviously. <laughs> Haven't you seen the comment section? <laughs> I was like, JD's the worst. I'm like, I know, okay, I know. <laughs> Secondarily, I, I've in my life spent time listening to New York sports radio uh, yeah. back when I was in my car a lot. And after mm -hmm. New York City playoff games were those the Mets or the Yankees and listening to call-in shows mm -hmm. there and the, sport, the sports media culture in the United States being so different than here where it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, give us all your horrible, hot takey, like irrational things. It's literally yeah. open up the phone lines and scream at the team and yeah. I'll be the guy that sits back, the host, and be like, "Okay, that was yeah. crazy, but I get it." Like, but no, so good. We have to be too, we have to be too smart here about sports. So basically, all I'm trying to get at is, I wasn't meant to be a sports radio host. I was meant to be a sports Dude, radio caller. caller. <laughs> you know, I'm just basically getting reps in for someday being an elite right. caller. You know what, Joe? I'm tired of it. That's <laughs> that, that that intro. That's what I was. That's what I was born to do. So, Freddie Anderson gets in the net. Hey, Stinks, he's awful. You, Riddick has got to be the backup. You can't even dress him for these playoff games. So, <laughs> Kelly Rudy summed it up best in the first intermission. I couldn't wait to hear what Kelly had to say because yeah. the period ends 
and it's with Freddie Anderson giving up a goal that I think we all pretty much agree was, you know, nobody's really stopping that. Maybe somebody does. Maybe someone gets in a position a little bit earlier. Maybe, who knows? To, to me, that's a really tough, perfect shot, perfect screen. The puck goes in the net. But outside of that, there weren't really any moments. Freddie Anderson wasn't really making any saves, and I wondered how they were going to do it. And Kelly did a great job outlining that what he really needs is reps seeing through traffic. We have Kevin Woodley on the show later from In Goal Magazine, who's going to discuss this with us a little bit further, and we'll get into it a little deeper. But I thought, okay, that, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. You know, that's one of the things that you probably don't replicate in practice the same way. But that's how the whole game felt to me, was basically as soon as that period was done and Kelly did his segment, I thought, I can't believe I thought I was going to learn anything from this game, other than what I came away thinking, which is we've been saying for a while that Jack Campbell should start game one. To me, that's obvious, right? Like To me, Jack Campbell starting game one is obvious. There was a little stretch of time where you thought, Maybe Freddie gets back. Maybe if Jack Campbell's not looking his very best. Like, there was a scenario, right? We explored it. We explained it. But Campbell, at this point, has completely solidified that he's the number one goaltender on the team. And that's what I felt watching Freddie Anderson last night was, hey, this guy is insurance. And this guy's working himself back to a place where if they need to call upon him, he has to be ready. And that's the scenario. If Jack Campbell struggles, Freddie Anderson gets a shot. If Freddie Anderson looks great when he gets that shot, He'll probably take the net. It's really not that complicated. No, it's it's really not. And there was nothing in that game. It was not like shots in the blue line were going through him without traffic. It was some weirdo plays. And maybe if he's in a stretch of playing for a month, he can read the, the pucks going off the end boards a little bit better. He's in better positioning. But nothing egregious. What he is right now is this team's back. I will say, player. though, I will say, though, that that is kind of the Freddie Anderson bugaboo is when you watch a lot of these games, the, oh, well, that one you could kind of explain, and this one you could kind of do the thing. And it's like, yeah, ultimately he let in more goals and in ways that I haven't seen Jack Campbell let pucks in for a while or that are far with a far less frequency, right? But he's the backup goaltender. So what yeah, can he you is. expect from him? Exactly. What can Good you job. expect from Frederick Anderson, the backup goaltender? Maybe David Riddick allows six goals yesterday. Did a better mm-hmm. job than that feel better about Frederick Anderson being thrown into the net, perhaps on a back-to-back between games three and four, than I do Michael Hutchison and David Riddick, and that's what you're asking for at the moment. Is there a potential, like, I don't, I'm with you, I don't think there was anything that could have happened yesterday in one game against the Senators in the second last game of the season, meaningless, that would have impacted their decision-making for game one a week from yesterday, but maybe... If what CJ is saying is true, that internally they think he has the higher ceiling, which is, you know, there's lots of evidence to to indicate that that's the case. He didn't do what he would have needed to do to force their hand if they truly did believe, like, we really want to start him in game one. If he really shows his best self, then maybe we can do that. Maybe we can justify it to the world. Nah, didn't happen. He's the backup. I feel great about him as the backup. I don't know what that would have been, though. I don't know what that would have been. I don't know like, so he gets, what, a 40-save shutout, and then they're going hand-wringing? Yeah. Like, I don't know what we're going to... No, they made their decision when they said Jack Campbell was going to start the final game of the season. Yep. That was it. Yep. Freddie Anderson needs reps. He needs game reps. If they really thought that he ever had a shot of doing this, they would have said, Freddie's the starter on Wednesday on Hockey Night in Canada, <laughs> and mm-hmm. we'll see about Friday. We'll see about Friday, and we'll go from there. They didn't. They announced Jack Campbell on Friday to make sure that the hierarchy was very clear. You and I talked about this with Bourne when we discussed the scenarios of how the goaltending would happen. Is There was no way they were going to sit Jack Campbell on Friday. Maybe, just maybe, Jack Campbell doesn't play that whole game. I can still see that scenario where it's all-star game style, where he plays the yeah. first period and he comes out, and then they give Freddie the back end like of it or That's whatever. Cool. I like that. But... There was no way they were going to go basically two weeks without having played Jack Campbell, and there was no way that they were going to leave it up in the air when so much of the position is about confidence. So Jack Campbell might be the most supportive guy on the planet. I don't think he would have been supportive of the decision to say, we're going to prioritize reps for the guy who has deservedly fallen to the backup slot over getting you comfortable before the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And I still feel good about him being the backup 
and get so a start. How could you in not? Game four, especially if they're leading in the series against the Montreal Canadiens. I don't feel great about the power play, though. Holy God. And I know they oh scored one. God. I know they scored one yesterday. Because yeah. Power play two was the better of the two units, which is insane. Like It, it employs Alex mm-hmm. Kerfoot and Jake Muzzin, who... I guess if Rasmus Sandin is in the lineup, maybe isn't even on power play two, and it's Morgan mm-hmm. Riley's unit. But that's it, nobody's got the take that. Well, you got to actually play power play two as power play mm-hmm. one because that makes no sense. It makes no sense what's happening. There's nothing you can take from that game other than, hey, does Freddie Anderson look half decent? He looked fine, I suppose, as the backup. And w- why shouldn't the power play be something we judge? Because mm-hmm. that's obviously a need of uh, an area of need, area of concern. It's something they've been working on extremely hard in practice. There's no risk to injury of, of going full bore on the power play. It looked worse than ever. I, I, I know you're, you're trying to get – you're trying to do the same thing over and over again that maybe you build some sort of chemistry, and that's been your issue, that you've been rotating guys in and out too much. Mm-hmm. Do they have too much skill? Like, I, I – are you so we're just going – we're just throwing our hands up then. We're going into the playoffs and saying this has made no sense all season long Whatever. Hopefully, it corrects itself and things start to make sense in the postseason. I guess, but uh, if it were me, I'd be trying different things because it's been so long that it's looked that bad, and it looked maybe it's worst look of the entire season yesterday. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> See, I know that sounds stupid. Thing. Yeah, you're I'm not. I'm thing. not. I'm sorry. I can't be worried about a bunch of. I'll I'll worry about it if there's no results come postseason time and it's the reason that they lose. But as of right now, I'm just I'm not caring because they had a sloppy effort against the Senators team where it really looks like the agenda was, hey guys, don't get hurt. Did you see the first mm-hmm. period? Guys were yep. like the puck went in the corner and guys yep. were like, cool, you go get it, Ottawa. That's your <laughs> yeah. puck. But yeah, don't you take agree care. with me that the power play wouldn't fall into that category of hey, let's try no. not to get hurt? No, I thought that. It was just a sloppy game overall, and in your classic fashion, the only guy who looked like he cared was Jason Spezza, where it's just... Nick Foligno for a moment. Yes, Nick Foligno too, because Nick Foligno, and he's doing cool Nick Foligno things, which, by the way, I I just want to say quickly on that, part of the reason that they went out and got Nick Foligno over Taylor Hall is exactly that, that if someone messes with somebody in front of the net, he's going to try and smash their face. And you might get the feeling that that's not as valuable as Taylor Hall scoring goals, and I'll hear you on it. Like, it's fine. That's a fine opinion. But the Leafs felt as though the scoring goals was in a good place and that they needed more guys who stick up for one another, like Nick Foligno. They needed more guys who brought an element of, you can't just steamroll us in the postseason like years past. And so we'll see if that gamble pays off. But as of right now, if you... I don't really want to do the Taylor Hall conversation anymore just because it's like, that's why they did it. And I know I'm doing it. I'm just saying that's why they did it. That's why they did it. Like, why can't we just all understand that that is why they did it? Back you start to the power the Taylor play. Hall conversation. You're like, I don't want to do the Taylor Hall conversation. Well, I started it. Yeah, I know. I, again, I told you off the top. I'm the worst. Like, what do you want me to do? I already, I already <laughs> took a knee. Okay. The power play. This is going to be the worst thing ever in sports radio right now. It is what it is. It just, it is what it is. It hasn't been very good all season long, but it's got a ton of talent. And I just still don't believe that they're going to go into a series against the Montreal Canadiens, have an extra skater, and not be able to capitalize on some of those opportunities. I just do. I think they're going to be able to do it. That it's, if when we look at this postseason, if they get knocked out because the power play stinks, then there has to be some kind of deep dive investigation as to why this doesn't work. But as of right now, we've done it. We've gone over it a million times. They've discussed it all season. Season long, I don't think that at going into the final game against Winnipeg, you're just like, hey, we're trying everything new. This actually, to make the cross-board comparison, is a little bit like the Nate Pearson thing, where it's, hey, you have all the talent in the world. What got you here? What was working for you before? What makes you feel comfortable? How do you get your confidence back? Do the things that you've done the entire way up. Don't overthink it. Don't try to get fancy. Just yeah. do what you do and we'll be fine. And if the Blue Jays, sorry, if Nate Pearson can do that and the Maple Leafs can do that, I really believe that the power play is going to be fine. If they can get the puck on Mitch Marner's stick and he can make a cross-seam pass when he gets the opportunities, the pucks are going to go in the net. If John Tavares can get good net front position and making the odd tip, they're going to go in the net. If Matthews can get a clean look, it's going to go in the net. Like, it's fine. The power play is 
if that's it, it's this is the ultimate version of like first world problems in a sport yes. where the Leafs are saying, "What's the big problem?" Well, it's yep. that the the multi million dollar men can't score on the power play where they have an advantage. What? Yep. That's what you're worried about right now? Perfect. That's going to sort itself out. Oh, I don't disagree with that. And yes, mm-hmm. I don't expect the margins to be very fine in the first two rounds of the postseason against these North Division opponents. It's beyond that. But it's been pointed out also that the Blues in their Stanley Cup season were a sub-20% power play team in the postseason. And in the finals, mm-hmm. I think they were 1 for 20 on the power play. It's, it's happened before where teams have gone into the postseason and the power play has not been a weapon for them. It's just confusing, and it continues to happen. And when things continue to happen, I like to try different solutions. Um, but yes, ultimately, it's not going to be their demise, especially not in the first two rounds, I don't think. I don't but know don't you agree that dude... sometimes tinkering is like the reason why things don't work out is because you're always trying something new? And I know that they maybe have it. They didn't start that early enough, but they did shake things up and they have done different things and it hasn't ended up with results. And I think that once you start to shake things up, sometimes it can work, but other times it can it can work against you where all of a sudden it's in everybody's head and there's a reason why they're viewing also, guys out there doing different things. It's an eye test thing where that doesn't make sense. It's like the skilled players, the good mm-hmm. players on this team have pucks on their stick and then all of a sudden the puck's jumping over their stick or they're making stupid passes into three sticks and it's being picked off and sent the other way and Connor Brown skating mm-hmm. past Morgan Riley. Like, yeah, no, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's ugly to watch. All right, one more of these meaningless games to go. If it's on not meaningless. Elliot Friedman pointed out that they're not meaningless. Well, what 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 about now though? Now that they've they've lost yesterday, I mean they they no, they can still leapfrog the some teams though. I know, yeah. but they can still leapfrog some teams. Okay, meaningful, super meaningful game, especially if we yeah, have that's a game right. On Watch Friday, it on I, Sportsnet, right? Is it? I don't if know. It's not, if it's it is, <laughs> if it's if it's on Sportsnet, it it's the biggest game of the year. <laughs> Uh, biggest guest of the show, no doubt. Uh, our next one, Jack Adams Award winner, Bruce Boudreaux. Gabby, uh, how's it going, Bruce? Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Uh, no, it's my pleasure. Yeah, it's uh, it's going. It's uh, things are winding down as far as hockey's going, and then they're going to ramp up in a week or so. So let's get her done. So I actually want to start with that because I watched that game last night and the first period is essentially Toronto saying, like, if the puck goes in the corner, we are not going there. Like, you can get it. We're not going to battle with you. The points do sort of matter, but how do you as a coach balance those priorities of, hey, guys, like, obviously we want to be going into the playoffs feeling good about ourselves and playing the way we want to play, but also let's not take unnecessary risks but then you also have the take of usually when it's like you're trying not to get hurt, people believe that is when you get hurt. Like this actually feels like a really complicated part of the season. It it sort of is, you know, I mean, and I agree with that last uh, statement. I mean, when you try to play not to get hurt, mm-hmm. is usually the time you get hurt. And uh, I think it's important that you continue playing at the, the same level uh, and going in. I mean, it's hard mentally to do it, but, you know, uh, when I was in junior in Toronto, George Armstrong always used to tell us that hockey was not like a faucet. You can't turn it on and off whenever you want. And so I've always believed that, I mean, uh, if you let up and, and, and you don't play well, say the last five games are meaningless like the Leafs uh, last, you know, five games were, then and you don't play hard, then all of a sudden it's hard to get it, ramp it back up. And uh, um, so I mean, it's a it's a fine line between playing as hard as you can and playing that you know that it's mentally it's 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 not meaning anything. You know, it's a no, tough call. Like, well, yeah, I could certainly tell last night when Mitch Marner basically threw the game. <laughs> he was like, here you go. <laughs> Here's a two-on-one. No more overtime. Uh, uh, yeah, seconds, he's like, I, 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 I'm not going to skate. He's like, I'm good. I think uh, you, can is... give Mitch, you can give Mitch a pass, though. He's been pretty oh, good sure. for them this year. Oh, I, I think he uh, he gets a pass for that one. So they're playing in front of Freddie Anderson, and the entire day is leading up to takes of, like, what's he going to look like? How's he going to do? Just what did you think about his game overall? Well, I mean, I think he was. I think he was fine. I, I yeah. don't. 
you know, you would have liked to have seen him come in and and if he had a pitch to shut out to make a decision on who starts on uh, on the first playoff game, but he didn't, and you know he lets four in, um, and a couple barely just made it made it in, but uh, uh, he looked healthy. He looked different than when he when he left the Leafs uh, for his injury. I know that, and he was probably very excited to get back in the game. But I still believe the the Leafs now have a pretty tough decision on what they have to what they want to do starting in the playoffs. Yeah, it feels like game one is done, but then at, at that point, who knows? The, the the road could be very circuitous between Frederick Anderson and, and Jack Campbell. I'm wondering, from a coach's perspe- uh, perspective, Bruce, when we talk about goaltending, because us is, you know, very removed from the game, it's difficult to evaluate goaltending, but it seems like in every comment you hear from just about every head coach that it's difficult for even the head coaches to evaluate goaltending. I think between these two, it's a little bit easier because the the numbers are so divergent and because Jack, Jack Campbell's been on such a roll, but when you're a coach, do you defer to the the goalie coaches like are you deferring to goaltender specific experts when you're deciding who's having the better season or who to start where because it's it it feels like it's so removed from you as a former defenseman understanding the position to that degree well i certainly defer to the goalie coach i mean well what people don't see sometimes is the goalie coach First of all, he's only working with the goalies, so he's talking to them all the time, the whole year. He gets, he takes them out to dinner um, on the road by himself to talk about goaltending. He, they, they become confidants in each other, and they know how each other thinks. So, I mean, obviously, the head coach has the eye test, and and they can do all the analytic tests they want. But the goalie coach has his pulse on what the goalies feeling and, and who he thinks should start now he doesn't he doesn't dictate who starts the head coach will dictate which uh, which goalie is starting but he's going to give you some pretty solid advice on on what's going on between both goaltenders uh, all the time so I mean I deferred to him all the time I'd say in Minnesota I'd say Bob you go talk to Doobie and uh, find out how he's feeling and everything else and then just come back and tell me what you think or I ask him I said okay we have the next five games, what do you think the rotation should be? And he would he would let me know and uh, whether Doobie would want to go back-to-back or he felt comfortable against one team versus the other. So the goalie coach has a lot a lot to do with it, especially this time of year. I don't think, I mean, I don't think the Leafs have a, a, a problem on who's starting in goal, but it's how quick you pull the plug on that goalie if he's not doing the right job. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the really, really interesting plot going through the postseason because, yeah, game one is is obvious. Jack has been great. He's been great for a month. He's handled the role. He's done what a starter needs to do. He's bounced back. He started to limit the highs and lows of his emotions in postgame press conferences when it comes to the way that he discusses his play. I, I You know, it's, it's really hard not to be incredibly impressed with what Jack Campbell has done. I, I just thought it was kind of interesting that you mentioned, hey, Freddie Anderson, if he goes out there and pitches a shutout, because, yeah, I really didn't think that, hey, there's any scenario where he does that. But I guess how does it determine, like, does that start playing at all to determining, hey, how quickly that leash would be? Like, if you're a coach and you watched him in that game and those goals were weird and he doesn't pitch the shutout, like, let's say Jack Campbell gives up four goals in game one, but you still win. Like, what is the process in terms of trying to determine that leash for what the goaltender gets in those playoff games? I think a lot has to do with wins and losses. If you give up four goal, goals and you still win, I think you come right back with the with Jack again, and uh, uh, knowing you have the faith in him that he's not going to give up four goals, and you'll probably win again. If you give up four goals and they're bad goals and you lose, then you've got a decision to make. I mean, the reason I mentioned the whole Freddie thing was when uh, I was in Anaheim and um, Gibson was – was actually the number one goalie at this point in time and we played the last game of the year and and uh, we sent Gibson home and we played Freddie and uh, Freddie shut out Washington 2 nothing, and he was absolutely outstanding and uh, so you know it came time we started Gibson in the series against Nashville 
But, I mean, he lost the first two games, and I was really quick after that to put Freddie in for the, the rest of the playoffs because I had belief in him to start off with, but I believed in him. Uh, I was a big fan of his. So, I mean, if the coach is a big fan of of Freddie, per se, then the leash is shorter. If the, if the coach isn't too... Um, uh, too pumped up about Freddie. The coat, uh, the, the leash will be a little lo- a little bit longer. So we'll see. I I I don't think um, I, I think Jack has been outstanding, and it, it, for not not a short time, but for a long time um, since Freddie went down, and even before Freddie went down, when he was coming in in a pinch hit role. So I mean, I think uh, Sheldon's got a lot of faith in Jack. And we'll ride with him for a little while anyway. So you know Freddie and you've coached him. And I, I wonder, of course, he's probably changed and grown a little bit as a man since then. It's, it's, it's been a while. But how do you think he would be handling a situation like this? Because we know he's a guy who loves to play. We know he's been the guy that has been the, the foundational goaltender for a team that has been building towards a moment like this. And now he finds himself in a backup role kind of not hoping for someone's downfall, but obviously hoping to get the net. Like, how do you think that he is just going to be dealing with this? Well, I mean, it's going to be all internal. Freddie's not a very outwardly emotional guy, as as you guys have seen interview after interview. But, I mean, it is um, a contract year. He would love to go get in the net and show people how good he is because when he's on... As we know in Toronto, he can be great. And um, uh, so, I mean, but he's also a really big team player, and he's never going to hope that the team loses. But if he gets in, he's going to he's gonna make the best of it. Uh, uh, I still remember when we were down 0-2 to Nashville, and we won the next three games with Freddie. Yeah, the first, first two games, you couldn't get a pee by him, and uh, um, that's the way I feel that if this playoff series, uh, whenever the Leafs get into trouble, if they have to put Freddie in, they will be very happy with the result. Yeah. Uh, it is funny, though, you mentioned, like, his he's not outward emotionally. Like, we've heard the odd quote from him where he seemed upset last year, especially sometimes with the team defense, where you could tell that he was getting a little sick of being hung out to dry. But he is such a hard guy to read from the outside, right? Like, you see him in that, like, we're watching that media conference last night. We're watching him speak to the media. And it's just the same face always. And I guess that's what you want from your goaltender is a guy who really doesn't show when he's rattled, when he's happy, whatever. But it does make it really hard to try to part through this thing as to how comfortable he is right now. So, like, you're saying that is what he's like as well in private. Yeah, but, I mean, he would probably be uh, way more, um, I'm not saying vocal, but, I mean, uh, you know, when he's talking, let his feelings be known uh, a lot more than he would the media, of course. Yeah. What do you think? Yes. Oh, well, that's kind of what I'm trying to drive at, though, is that does would he, do you think that he's the kind of guy who would stump for himself to Sheldon Keith and like actually make it outwardly known like hey privately between you and me coach I like I think I should be given a game somewhere here like I want the net for a game well I would want every every goaltender um, and every player to want the net to want to play and I would in in private I would <laughs> the last thing I'd want to say no you know Jack's going okay Let's keep him in there for a while. I don't mind watching the game. That's not the, what you want. You want everybody to want to play and want to be the guy that shows everybody that he can do the job. Talking to Bruce Boudreaux, former Jack Adams uh, award winner. It's, yeah, it's not a bad situation. The Leafs have two goaltenders who can apparently shoulder the load. Um, power play's been bad, Bruce. Power play was bad yesterday, despite the fact that it scored a goal, second unit, and uh, Jake Muzzin, a guy that's not usually on the power play for this team. Trying to get my mind around how important or how impactful that is. Like, do you going into the postseason, where do you put that on the list of concerns for the Toronto Maple Leafs that the power play isn't going, hasn't been for a while? Well... You know what, I, I really don't put it high in the first two rounds because it hasn't been going well for, what, six to eight weeks now. And uh, um, they still to be, they, they're still winning in, you know, in the division they're playing and very handily 
uh, all the time. So it might might be a lot more necessary when you play. Uh, if the Leafs get by the the first two rounds and they get in the semis against whether it be Florida, Tampa, or Carolina, um, or Nashville, I guess. But I mean, uh, um, it would it might be more uh, important because you don't know those teams as much. Uh, but you know, I mean, right now I think they can win without without a good power play. Boston in 2011 won the cup. I think they only scored one power play goal in the whole uh, four series. But I mean, uh, I might be off by one or two there. But uh, uh, their power we won't play hold was you horrible to it. We won't too. So. Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, but I mean, it's it, I think they've had success against Montreal without the power play. They've had success with Edmonton without the power play. Now, on the other hand, I think the other team's power play is going to be really important. I mean, if if Montreal scores two power play goals a game and they haven't been able to do that, then it becomes a lot more difficult for the Leafs. But I think the Leafs' PK is more important in these playoffs right now than the Leafs' power play. So, last one. Felino has moved around a little bit, and part of the reason they got him is because he is someone who can play up and down the lineup, which is great. But where do you like him? Where do I like him, personally? On the left yeah. wing with Tavares and Nylander. Yeah. And when Hyman comes back, I think you'll... I loved Hyman with, you know, I mean, Matthews and, and uh, uh, Marner. Um I'm thinking that might be it, but then again, I'm not in on the ground floor, and I, I'm just like you guys. I watch watch the TV and see what I think would. would, would. But um, uh, that's where I see the first two lines in the end. No, you're just like us, guy who played an entire career and then coached and won Jack Adams and just watching the game and same as us we're the same guys all the three guys watching the game the same way hey uh bruce this was great man <laughs> always always appreciate your insight man no problem anytime take care go leafs go go leafs go go leafs go <laughs> bruce Rufro. we'll, we'll put I'll, always I, he's the head coach and seattle will be like i know oh and it's here's oh, oh seattle <laughs> the kraken against yeah. the leafs oh you yeah, yeah. you like your head coach we, do you he yeah, loves the no, leafs we, yeah, we now go live to this clip. <laughs> uh, Bruce, thoughts on the game tonight? Go Leafs, go. And go that'll on. be the next year. I love it. I love that so much, man. I've said it before, but, like, you know, being a pro and going into it where there's so many times where it's just like, hey, this is my feel. Like, once I'm a pro, I checked all my fandom, and it's just not the same, and do this thing. And I'm sure it isn't the exact same. Like, I'm sure he roots for guys around the league. And, and when you're in it, put... it's different. Yeah, of course. But even <laughs> what we even getting out of it and just being like, yeah, this is how I feel. It's awesome. I just love that. I love talking to Bruce. So he said the thing where it's like, you want the guy who wants the net, of course. Uh-huh. But that does seem to be the element that I think a lot of people do leave out. There are a lot of fans who say Freddie is not owed anything, which is fine because this team is trying to win a Stanley Cup, and ultimately, here's where you are right if you have that take. If Jack Campbell continues to play well, and it doesn't even have to be Jack Campbell continues to play well, the team's primary obligation is to win a Stanley Cup and do whatever it takes in order to achieve that goal. So yes, no one is getting, quote-unquote, the net because you had a good track record with the Leafs. However, like, there's a reason why we're assuming that Simmons and Thornton are 0% chances of coming out of the lineup for game one during bad stretches of play. And it's because those guys, quote-unquote, signed in Toronto to play playoff games. And they are going to be given that opportunity. And all I would say to you when we say the whole, like, owed nothing argument is... Who has been more important to the Toronto Maple Leafs, Freddie Anderson or either of those two guys? Mm -hmm. If we're going to play the game of, well, the Leafs need to show these veteran guys that they're valued and that they get their opportunities because this is a template moving forward in terms of signing guys and 
making sure that you have a model where you can build the fringes of your roster with cheaper veteran contracts, could you not play the game of, hey, um, the goaltender losing his job to injury and then never getting a spot after being the workhorse and basically going into a contract season after putting up the resume that he did that they didn't give him a game and not seeing a goaltender who would be on the outside and say, this market is already impossible to play in to the point where Freddie Anderson was an all-star and then he had a bad stretch and every fan wanted to take out a knife and stab the guy in the back that you wouldn't have any of that thought internally. I'm just saying, it's, it's, I'm not, I don't believe it's going to play into any of this yeah. decision-making whatsoever. Uh-huh. They're going to play the best guys in the best spots. But there has to be at least a 1% thing of, hey, like, this is a guy who has done a lot for the organization. This is a guy who's in a contract year. This is a guy who can play very well. If the opportunity presents itself, maybe the scales tilt a little differently than they would in a normal situation or if the goaltenders were reversed. Well, and some of that guilt is showing in some of the process here. Like, they feel, you can tell, and there's been reports on this, whether it's Elliot or or CJ, about Freddie Anderson feeling like he's been done wrong with the the, uh, playing through the injury and how they've handled him and yada, yada, yada. And the team has deferred. You know who they'd like to see? Riley Nash. I haven't seen him. He's capable of playing a hockey game. Could have played yesterday, and yes, not the most meaningful game. Could play Friday. Won't. Won't. Because they deferred to Freddie Anderson because he felt like he played through some stuff that he wouldn't have otherwise. And he said, hey, that was nice playing those AHL games. That's not the National Hockey League. Give me an NHL game. I don't care what you have to do to do it, but I'm going to play in a National Hockey League game. So they said, okay, you've, you've, you've been a good soldier for this hockey team, and we'll let you get your way. Where, and I like you the, the comparison. and the, like the thinking does exist, no doubt. It's just hard to compare, like a Wayne Simmons playing eight minutes on the fourth line to deferring to the goalie where there's only one and it's the most important position in hockey and can directly impact your ability to win and lose a game series or Stanley Cups. I mean, I I better hope that anyone on the roster can directly hope to win and be the difference between winning and losing a game. But yes, obviously a goaltender is more important than the fourth line winger. Mm-hmm. I'm, my only point is that when people made the case as to why certain guys got in the lineup, it was, well, it's because it's something beyond just what the play is. Because mm-hmm. you could make a case that, some, like, okay, if Alex Galchenyuk comes out, if he comes out, which it looks like there's a real chance he does, are we sure that two of those guys on the bottom four, on the fourth line are better than Galchenyuk? Like, are we sure that... no? If it's an offensive role that is sheltered offensively, that Spezza and Galchenyuk would not be better. Like, that's all my point is, is that we do these things for guys that, quote unquote, the fan base likes, and you don't afford the same opportunities for guys you don't. And so you can't, you've, you've kind of twisted yourself into a bit of a logic pretzel where you're starting to apply things that are outside of the game to certain guys and not to others. That's all. My whole thing with the Freddie Anderson's debates have always been, like, let's just look at this as rationally as possible. Let's just put all the cards on the table and discuss it. Like, it has gone so far from people, and maybe I shouldn't even be caring about, like, what the fan discussion is around it, but I do because I'm a fan and I care what other people think and I always want other people's opinions and whatever. But it's just, like, the vitriol towards Anderson and the... Like, again, when CJ tweeted about him coming back and playing that center's games, go look at the replies. Go look at the replies. Don't read the comments. And, and like, this fan base always talks about, like, how the media is so hard on the players. The media is so hard on the players. And the media, it's the media, it's the media. It's like, <laughs> what do you think the, those guys see? You think Freddie Anderson's turning on his radio today? Or do you think that there's potential that he sees social media and the replies of him coming back? Both. Like, which one Both. do you think is, yeah, you're right, this show for sure. Maybe not all the other shows, but, like, this yeah. one for sure. I, I just think it's, like, I, I guess I just don't like when it's so overly hypocritical, and I just I still am at a loss as to why this guy gets treated this way, or why anyone wouldn't be excited at the prospect of having two goaltenders, and the potential to be it's able great. to lean on somebody no, who was an all-star at some point. 
And I think the thing you're talking about, the non-performance related things that you're talking about, and again, like when we're talking about the Simmons and the Thorntons of the world, like they get Mm -hmm. game one, but if they're the reason they lose game one, which again, it's hard to imagine playing fourth line Mm -hmm. minutes on this team. Yeah, their position is tenuous and it's not out of the realm of possibility, Mm -hmm. especially with back-to-backs in the playoffs for Mm -hmm. some of those guys to be in and out of the lineup. That's interesting. We haven't discussed that. Maybe we will when it gets closer to the date, but I hadn't thought about that until you just pointed it out right now. Yes, there's that. But also... I think what you're talking about comes into play if the separation between the two goalies is closer, right? Like if it's a razor-thin yes. margin and it's like, man, Anderson's been back for a couple of weeks and they've been sharing the net and he hasn't maybe been as good as Campbell, but he's still working his way back from injury and it's still – it's not a question. Yeah. No. Like it, 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 Campbell's been But so I'm not talking about game so one. Long. But this is not a discussion around game one. What I think this is a discussion more about, because, God, we've said it for weeks now that Jack Campbell's getting the net in game one. And if anybody watched that game and didn't have the exact same thought watching it that this guy is at this point insurance, yeah, you're nuts. Even if you're the biggest Freddie Anderson fan on the planet, you have to know that there's no way, there's no way outside of Jack Campbell getting hurt on Friday night that he could possibly not be the starter in game one. He's done everything right. He has earned that job. Period. Mm-hmm. Where I think it gets a little trickier and where you actually do potentially bring in a slight sliver of personal relations or what is owed or due or whatever, all those things, is if you're in a spot where you lose a game and it's maybe one bad goal against Jack Campbell. One. Like, what is the margin of error for Jack Campbell in oh, the postseason. Oh, it's minuscule. It's minuscule. Well, I don't know. I don't I know. I genuinely do not know because I don't know how ready Freddie Anderson is. Like, again, last night he looked okay at times, but I don't know what I'm supposed to make of it. It was pretty sloppy, and there were moments where I said, well, that really did feel like the last month of Freddie Anderson starts where it's like, well, we're trying to twist ourselves into excuses for the goals, but ultimately, like, they all went in the net, and I, I don't know. My point is, is, like, that's the curiosity to me. If I could find out... Yes. Uh, it's it's going to be uh, probably a fluid situation that happens throughout the postseason, but whatever. But what I'd love to know is deep down in the heart of the organization is what would it take right now for you to flip it during a playoff series? Would it take two losses in a row? Would it take a whole a horrific Jack Campbell game? Would it take uh, two mediocre Jack Campbell games? Like what? Like what's the formula? You can at that point you can play the opposite. You can be like, well, Jack Campbell didn't look great in game one, but it's a one game, and this guy stacked up an entire season of great games. You're gonna pull the rug out from game. under Jack Campbell. To, I to, think he'd to have to be horrific Anderson? in game one. Like it would have to be the Leafs lose six nothing, and Jack Campbell did the start that Michael Hutchison had against the Senators where it's like... The the other thing is the message you're sending to your team is a panic one. Mm -hmm. Like, if you lose game one by a fine margin and, like, it's not their best game and and all the, the, the media... That is perhaps not us, perhaps us, that is going to talk about the the previous playoff failures with this team and the amount of scrutiny that exists for a game two, no matter who the goaltender is. Imagine what it is if you're like all of a sudden, and we're making a goalie change too. Like there is an uh, also a message to be sent to your team in pulling off a move like that. Yeah, I, I actually think that cool bet is going to open up odds for who gets game one, but that's so obvious and so tilted that you just throw that Jack Campbell pick into a parlay. And just take it as a lock. But I would 100% bet that Jack Campbell starts both games. I don't yeah. see a scenario, even as if he plays extremely poorly and the Leafs lose, that they would take him out for game two either. I think the Leafs, the only way that he loses the net for the one of the first three games is if he if the Leafs go 0-2. Yeah. If the Leafs lose the first two games, then I think you get desperate and pull the Freddie. But other outside of that, there's just no way. The way I see Freddie Anderson, like, this is my only theory as to why, and we'll get off this and we'll move on and we'll take a break, but the only way I see the shift in goal in round one is if the Leafs go one and one, because I really don't see them going 0-2, right? And if they do, then yes, Freddie Anderson gets a net in game three. But if they go one and one, they split those games, then you know Frederick Anderson's going to be playing game four because it's a back-to-back. So they play Jack Campbell. If he loses that game, the Leafs are down one and two. Freddie Anderson comes in and wins that game. Then without a doubt, Freddie Anderson's playing the next one. And he has the opportunity to keep the net. That's Mm -hmm. the formula. And nobody wants that formula. Like, 
I don't want it. And I want Frederick Anderson to feel redemption in some way. Like I, But I don't care. I want the Leafs to win hockey games. So I, like, ultimately, hey, I wish that in a perfect world, Frederick Anderson could be healthy and do the damn thing and uh, get his money and do all that stuff and, and get a little bit of credit from this fan base that has been horrific to him. But, well, it's true. Like, no, tell me, like, the fan base no, is not I'm, I'm saying I'm making these noises thinking about the, the potential scenarios of losing game ones or even having yeah, a 1-1 one, no, one series. You know, that's actually a more interesting thing. Is like, who are the guys that got treated the worst by Leaf fans in your lifetime? I would say Jake Gardner is among them, right? Sure. sure. But Freddie Anderson became like the the Jake Gardner vacuum left, and the the mm-hmm. it just became Freddie Anderson. Even when he wasn't playing, he wasn't healthy. It was like anytime Jack would play well, people were like, "See," <laughs> it's like what he's like trying to rehab and get healthy. He's like, "Why am I a part of this discussion right now?" People are, like, dunking on me when I'm playing in the AHL games that you're not even watching. So, yeah, I, I do think that he is, at least in my lifetime in the 2000s onward, that it's there's real Mount Rushmore potential there. Yeah. And he's been a good goalie. He's performed well uh, until recently. Not last year and really not at all this year. As he's, his, season, his regular season is over unless he shows up in relief, I guess, on Friday. But, uh, yeah, career lows in everything. All right. Well, if you put a lot of stock into the Freddie Anderson start in front of a team that has nothing to play for uh, against a rebuilding team, then I guess you're disappointed yesterday as the Toronto Maple Leafs and Mm -hmm. Frederick Anderson lose in overtime to the Ottawa Senators, wrapping up his regular season. If you're uh, a more rational person, you're like, okay, it's fine, he's healthy, and he's not going to start game one anyways, and he's proven in the past to be a well above average goaltender and it's probably good to have two of those going into a postseason series uh let's talk to kevin woodley of in goal magazine and nhl.com kevin thanks so much for doing this really appreciate it yeah my pleasure guys thanks for having me on today so what are we supposed to make of of that start a guy that has not played in the national hockey league in a long long time made a couple of ahl appearances and then as i set it up not exactly the most pressure-packed situation, and some odd goals. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, there were some there last night that, like, I actually didn't mind some of his movement, a little bit of happy feet at times. Still find he gets a little, sort of a little, sort of hunched over at the waist and straight-legged and on his heels a little bit. And when you see him, I thought last year in the regular season, sort of, in and out, in and out, in and out, trying to choose his depth. That's where I didn't like him. I didn't see as much of that. Um, You know, but a couple pucks where, you know, he makes good saves, but not necessarily sort of trusting where it is afterwards. And some of that's just feel and confidence. Um, So, like, I'm I'm not as down on that start last night as I've seen some other people are. And yet I I don't think it changes. I don't think there was enough opportunity here to change what was the the most likely scenario, and that's that Jack Campbell is the Maple Leaf starter heading into the playoffs. And, you know, I heard you guys, I heard you, I think you, you know, mentioned the term above average, um, you know, in terms of where the, the Leafs are from a goaltending perspective. And that's the one sort of caveat I would throw at this is despite the raw numbers, the stuff we sort of see uh, published at NHL.com type of thing, um, they only have one goalie that's above expected in terms of the defensive environment. And it's not by a lot. Like, Jack Campbell is just above expected this year. When I look at the numbers, and I've got access to ClearSight Analytics, so, you know, proprietary numbers, um, you know, that, that measure shot quality better than, you know, in my opinion, anything else I see out there in terms of 34 different types of chances and types of shots. And, you know, when I look at that and, and where Jack Campbell you know, ranks on that list, at, I think he's 3.3 above expect. Like, it's 35th in the National Hockey League. Uh, I know he's 17-2-2. I know what the raw numbers say. But in terms of the how much of that is goaltender and how much of that is environment, a lot of it is environment. Uh, and the metrics that matter to me in terms of in, indicative of playoff success, uh, when I look at clear sight, the high danger, even strength chances, um, it's actually been a very strong indicator when you match up series by series. I think over the last two years we've only had two outliers where the team that wasn't better in that metric 
won the series, and it was usually because of poor goaltending the other way. The Leafs are actually second in the NHL in that metric. So they look very good heading into the playoffs, but they also appear to be a team that's built to win without the need for elite goaltending. And, and, and that's the thing here. They haven't gotten it, per se. They don't necessarily need it. Um, Jack Campbell is above expected. Freddie Anderson is below expected. Uh, when I look at splitting up the types of shots um, that each faces and their success rate, the one that jumps out at me as potentially problematic for Jack Campbell is sort of the low danger, the low percentage shots. Uh, Freddie's above expected on that, and, and you know, and Jack's actually below on that. He's given up 11 you know, goals that frankly shouldn't go in, and, and, and those are the ones where those are the ones that are tough to overcome sometimes, even if you're the dominant team. Uh, your team loses, I think it's 87% of the games where your goalie gives one of those up, unless the guy at the other end reciprocates and coughs one up himself. And so that would be the only metric that sort of stands out at me as problematic. But at the end of the day, the Leafs aren't designed to rely on goaltending to win. They just need steady. And Jack Campbell has been steady and above all season for them. Frederick Anderson hasn't. At least Frederick has a track record where, even in last year's playoffs, despite a couple bad ones, overall I liked his game, and he gives you a nice plan B. That's a pretty good safety net to fall back on. But again, if they're leaning heavily on their goaltending to win, like that's not how they won all season, and it's probably not how they're going to win in the playoffs. That's that's really insightful stuff and it speaks to what we get to see right which is the Leafs have improved so drastically defensively as a team and we've tried to at times diminish it with the division but as it's been pointed out many many times at this point it's that you know what the north one thing they do well at score and a lot of these teams do provide high level offense and so you should probably give the Leafs a little bit more credit for that but okay so Jack Campbell has been above average. He clearly gets that first start. We're not looking at Freddie Anderson at doing those other things. And, yeah, I think that's why there's so much anxiety about the goaltending position for the Leafs is that I don't believe a lot of people think their goaltenders are capable of, like, stealing them series. And that happens from time to time in the playoffs. It's not what's supposed to happen through the first two rounds. But ultimately, like, yeah, when we get to that place of the third round, if they do ever get there, and I know that this is just, like, thinking way, way, way far in advance. Okay, we don't have that track record from Freddie Anderson this season, but you mentioned it. We've seen it in the past. Like, how do you get this guy right at any point, or do you risk the, at times trying to see more from a guy when you know that potentially the ceiling is higher? And we've heard from multiple people around the organization that the Leafs do believe the ceiling is higher for Freddie Anderson. I think you're past the point of that risk, right? Like, like it's not like you can just slide a guy in and see how he's feeling, like in a playoff series. Like, if you're, if you're, if it's because you're down and you haven't been getting it from Jack Campbell. Um, you know, again, it's that in case of emergency break glass option. But I don't think, like, I don't, like, I don't think anybody would be brash enough to be like, ah, oh, we're up three one in the series. Let's see what what Freddie's got tonight. We haven't seen him in six games. Like, you know, I think that sort of that runway ran out on them in terms of getting an extended look at him, unfortunately. And what, so I think you rely on your goaltending coach. And they've got an excellent one in Steve Briere, like an excellent one. And I think that there's a track record and a trust between him and Freddie that Steve by this point will know. Like as a goalie coach, you learn the signs and the indicators. And they're different for every goalie, whether it's a certain drill or certain reps in practice certain elements of their game, the way they move, the way they're tracking pucks. You know, I talked a little bit about setup and stance and sometimes the hands on foot, like the, you get a little straight leg and a bent over at the waist and the hands come back. And then when you drop to the ice, everything pulls away from the puck instead of moving into it. Little indicators that no one will know better than Steve Briere. And so as they continue to work through practice time and get those reps, um, you know, he will know where Freddie's at with his game and whether when they hit that point, if they need him, he'll be ready to go. And at the end of the day, because of all the time off, you'll expect moments like last night where he makes a good save on a breakaway, but just doesn't quite trust. He can feel it there, but he's not a hundred percent sure. And so he opens up and again, ends up getting fished out, out of his legs and put into the net. Um, you know, things like that can, you know, are still going to happen. That's part of the rust. 
Um, and I think you're sort of past the point of, you know, giving yourself a window to let him play his way through that. I think it really is Jack Campbell unless you see signs of, like I said, and it was only five or six games all season, but signs of the Jack Campbell we saw here in Vancouver. And I didn't like the decision, frankly. I didn't like his game in the first loss to Vancouver. I didn't love the decision to go away from him in the second game. I thought it undermined some of the trust he should have built with his team when they went to David Riddick. Riddick, unfortunately for him, probably played himself out of this mix entirely with that game here in Vancouver. And I give Jack Campbell a lot of credit for reeling it back in. As much as we talk about the defensive play, like that was, to me, could have been a big moment the other way where, you, you know, like I said, it felt like they undermined a little bit of what he had done by not going back to him here. And he reeled it back in. Like he deserves a lot of credit. Teams like the like good defensive teams aren't always easy to play behind. Not every goalie can play behind a good defensive team. We've seen countless examples over the year of goalies who are really good when they're busy but struggle when they're not. And that's sort of as much mindset and mental and things we can't necessarily see analyzing them as much as it is technical. Um, And in Jack's case, because his technical is a little busier, has a little more flow, a little more rhythm, a little more reliance on timing, those are typically goalies that don't do well in great defensive environments, that might need a little more action to stay busy, to feel good about that style of game. And his ability to sort of play a little more controlled game and feel good and maintain that confidence when he's not busy. Like those are all things that you check, you know, positive checks, check marks on his side of the ledger and things he deserves credit for. Um, Cause not every goalie does that. Not every goalie manages those situations as well. So he may be, despite all I said about sort of expected environments and, you know, ranking in the twenties, um, despite what the raw numbers say, he may be the perfect guy mindset-wise and approach-wise for this team heading into the playoffs right now because, like I said, they're not looking for him to steal games. You don't necessarily need that. You just need to keep doing what you're doing all season. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, yes, Jack Campbell deserves a ton of credit. Like, all all these circumstances and all of the pressure and, uh, yes, just the way that we have looked at him – he has done a phenomenal job. He, he really has. He's put himself in a terrific position. I wonder from your vantage point, though, again, like we always do so much of it. Like this show is trying to analyze, you know, the, the mental side of things. Like when you bring up that going to Riddick thing and how Jack in the past has been really vocal with the media when he lets in a bad goal or where he feels like his performance has not been up to par and the differences between being a backup goaltender and a starting goaltender in terms of managing those things. But just when you watch his play stylistically and from a technical standpoint, is there one thing that sticks out to you when you say, okay, this is the good Jack Campbell, the Leafs, they need this guy in the playoffs, Jack Campbell, versus the guy that could potentially put them in a spot where they have to question who the starting goaltender is again? Yeah, you know what? I don't, and I don't like to talk out of my butt here. So I don't like I don't know his game well enough. Like we talked when I talked about Steve as the goalie coach, knowing the indicators, you know. And when I watch a guy like like for example Jacob Markstrom here in Vancouver, I knew what those signs were, and I could usually tell you early in the game how things were going to go that night. Um, I, I don't have that familiarity with Jack's game, and so I, I don't want to blow smoke and say things that are just pulled out of the air. Um, that's the truth. There is a tendency on clean shots, and I talked about those low percentage goals. Like, if I'm doing a pre-scout on him and I'm thinking about clean looks off the wing, um, you know, I'm, I'm probably loading up locker side nine times out of ten, or that's what I'm telling, telling my shooters. Um, there's a tendency to get a little bit stabby on that side, uh, a little bit reachy as opposed to moving into pucks. And again, this is not... This is not dramatic. This is not drastic. This is not like me going, this is a major area of weakness that's going to cost the Leafs stuff. Like, no. But there's a little bit of a tendency there, and that's what you look for when you're breaking down film and and trying to identify, hey, how do we exploit this guy? And the fact that I've seen some of those on longer shots, on clean looks off the rush, those are the ones you're supposed to stop. Those are the 99 percenters. Those account for a number of those low percentage goals that I talked about this season. And maybe I'm a little biased on that because I saw two of them against the Canucks, one where he reaches with it and opens up the chicken wing under the arm, and another one where he's just beat clean because he kind of opens to that side instead of sort of coming down into pucks on that side he does have a slight tendency to sort of chase and 
turn the right shoulder up and away to sort of get pucks with his blocker almost parallel or, or level with his shoulders or his body as he turns away as opposed to moving down and in front and cutting them off out in front of him. And on the glove side, he's got such a good glove hand that that's like, like he has the timing and the natural skill. And it probably comes from working with Dusty Emu uh, when he was with L.A. There's just sort of the way he teaches goalies to catch pucks cleanly and in the webbing and a bit of a lost art to it. But on the blocker side, that same motion um, that pulls you off of pucks is the best way to describe it and narrows your margin for error on that side. That might be one little trend or tendency Maybe not that so much as whether Jack's on or off his game, because I think it's there a lot of the time, but it might be something that you see other teams try and target. So, you know, clean looks off the wing um, if you start seeing teams, and then playoffs you see it more than any other time. Because let's be honest, like goalie coaches do really good pre-scouts all season long. But when it's one of 82 or even one of 56, even in these three and four game series, most shooters, they give it a cursory glance. They might look at the shootout. Um, you know what the pre-scout is in the shootout, but not a lot of guys are digging in deep. In the playoffs, they do, and you can look for trends. If there's something that's been well articulated in a pre-scout about an opposing goaltender and you see guys going to that spot over and over again, that means they're seeing the same thing, and that might be one I look for. Talking to Kevin Woodley of InGoal Magazine and NHL.com, we actually had breaking news in the middle of this uh, conversation that we have the schedule for this first round series between the Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leafs. It starts a week from today on Thursday, May 20th. Uh, the Oilers-Jets series starts a day earlier than that. And just like uh, Chris Johnson reported to us via text while we were doing a segment on Monday, yes, there is a back-to-back. And it's between games three and four, Monday the 24th, Tuesday the 25th. I wonder how, I mean, it's bizarre to get that in the postseason anyway. So it's, it, we're kind of going off a of not a lot of track record and historical precedence here, Kevin. But how do you view that uh, as far as the goaltenders are concerned? Like, is it a potential that if if Jack Campbell looks good through the first two games that you even consider him playing both of those games? How would you manage it? When would you, maybe you get Anderson in the first game? or the, Like, how, how do you look at back-to-backs in the postseason in this series in particular? Well, I think it would probably depend on workload and how the and how he's looking, right? Like at the end of the day, guessing right now is is probably a you know a foolish mission. I do think we've seen some of the numbers sort of change. You know, I know for a while there was goalies just don't play back to backs, you get diminishing returns and all those things. Um, and I think we've seen some pushback on that with some of the you know some some more recent looks at those stats, and you know, we've seen goalies go back to back without a problem. Uh, the guy who hoisted the Stanley Cup last year played every single game in the playoffs, despite the fact that last year's playoffs did include back to back. So um, the difference here would be travel. So if it's three and four, there's no travel involved. Um, but where it can become a factor, I really think guys are more than capable of playing back-to-backs, unless you're talking about some of the older guys. And so I'm curious now that you say that to look at the Oilers' schedule with 39-year-old Mike Smith in that and see whether they've also got back-to-backs. Um, but where you see it can become cumulative is the third and four nights. And that's where you have to make decisions based on rest. You know, I remember talking to Roberto Luongo, and admittedly this is later in his career, and sort of his mid to late 30s, but for him, it wasn't getting through the back-to-backs. It was recovering from them. And in the final few years, and again, like the guy who played into, you know, 30, into the age 39 season, um, you know, he, he told me that was a weak recovery before he felt right again if he played back-to-back. So it can become cumulative. I would suggest to you that if you're in a dogfight in the first round uh, and your goalie's playing well at all, you're probably not making that switch. And it's probably very justifiable to play a guy back-to-back. And again, if you're the Leafs, too, because of how well they defend, like I'm not expecting them to have 40 and 45 shot nights here. Obviously, if we go into multiple overtimes at some point, again, the formula changes. But I don't think we should look at that out of the gate and go, oh, there's the chance to get Freddie Anderson in that. I'm not necessarily sure that's going to be the case, especially if Jack just keeps playing the way he's been playing. Kevin, I uh, love your insight on this position. Thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Yeah, this is really great, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, I'll, I promise I'll, I, what I'll do is I'll do a little more digging on sort of pre-scout and scouting reports. We haven't, I haven't gotten through them all for the playoff stuff, but 
see if I can get one of those published on both guys for you, and, and, and maybe we can chat again to see if there are some specifics. Absolutely, yeah. buddy. Always welcome. Thanks, thanks, Kevin. Thanks, guys. See ya. See, see you, dude. Ya. Yeah, Kevin Woodley, uh, goalie coach of Good Show, I guess. Like, he's our guy, right? Like, he's our Steve Breer, who we, you know, you try and talk out of your butt, which he doesn't, right? Like, but we both try and talk, mm. like, make the, the, the verbal uh, sounds come out of our butts, and he's not going to do that. So we'll defer mm-hmm. to him when it comes to goalie, even though you did play for Team UConn, and I get that, mm-hmm. and that That's does right. put you in a position of authority. Sure does. Sure does. Sure <laughs> freaking does, baby. Uh, I actually just love interviews like that where yeah. I think that's actually a real uh, passion of both of ours with doing the show is actually getting an opportunity to speak with somebody who knows a lot and who yeah. uh, articulates it as well as Kevin does. So, yeah, I feel smarter going into this play- uh, this playoffs knowing that. And the Jack Campbell thing was, I don't want to say shocking, but I, I think especially interesting. Yeah, he's only been slightly above average. No, it's nice to talk to smart people, talk about smart things uh, that we've tried to talk about smartly, but we're only limited by our own. That's what the capacity. guests are for. We we're not those. Like the guests no, no, are for no. that. We're and not we know that. 